Hey everyone, welcome back to the 10th episode of Tell It Anyway, a storytelling podcast that has made it to 10 episodes. This week we are talking about a subject that often comes up in my house, which falls under the general heading of, how did I get here? And I guess what you're going to find in this episode is that the answer to that question can sometimes be good, sometimes be awful, and sometimes have a little bit of both. So buckle up, because our first guest this week is Chris Black. Now, Chris is the former drummer. uh, He was a drummer for 10 years for two groups, the Dolly Rots and Bang Sugar Bang, and is now off the road for a bit doing the dad thing, the real estate thing, and the love and life thing. Yeah. And coming back, uh, Matthew C. Flanagan, husband, comedy writer, storyteller, mass farter. <laughs> I, just, I just want to help the ball club. So Matt Flanagan is going to kick us off with a story about the early years in Los Angeles. Anybody who has a dream... A dream of, uh, say, a better day ahead knows that that bright, shiny road to achieving that dream is spackled together with shit. (laughs) This is the story of that shit. Over over 15, I guess, years ago, a young Matt Flanagan, that's me, came to this city, the City of Angels, with a suitcase and a dream, and uh, it was a dream to be a Hollywood writer. Now, my girlfriend had already been here for about six months. That's not me. We're not talking about me. No, it's not you. It was previous girlfriend. She was out here to be an actress. She was taken out the territory, and I felt like I had one up on everybody else because I already had somebody out there. Then when I burst on the scene, I took a good look around and immediately crawled inside her vagina. And by that, (laughs) I mean Hmm. I I hid for the next year and a half. Hmm. Uh, I was scared. I was overmatched. I did not know what I was doing. So basically, I did very little. But you were warm. (laughs) I was very warm, ensconced ensconced in that safe, safe vagina. (laughs) And uh, while I was in that vagina, I- Was that uh, in that vagina? Was that where you learned to use a fork? (laughs) Yes, in a napkin. I learned to be uh, civilized. But one day from from within that vagina, I I summoned up the strength. And I thought I was doing something really good at the time. And I sent out uh, 44 query letters. I don't know if you know what those are, but- uh, if you read the bad screenwriting books, they'll tell you to send letters out to agents that are basically like, uh, uh, hello, sir, I'm told you have an agency of agents. Perhaps you would be interested in my 140-page comedy about dwarfs, which is what I had at the time. I write poems. I so little in that vagina. Thank you for your time, yada, yada, yada. Here's a self-addressed envelope in which to send me money. Now, I was not good at the networking part of the business, which is in my head, like, hey, Aiden, you like Thai food? I like Thai food. What can you do for me? (laughs) And that shows you how bad I am at it. You can get me extra peanut sauce, right? (laughs) And so I became very poor very quickly. I went through my my nest egg. I did not blaze a trail through Hollywood immediately. And sometime between living on uh, free samples at Trader Joe's, which I actually did. I remember coming to the lunch and like kept having to like casually come back for more. I think it was when my 1994 e-machines computer got a virus. <laughs> the e-machines. <laughs> is when the shit spackling started. And that's basically the soul-crushing jobs for the in-between times, the times that you hope are the in-between times and not the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. So I was a temp once where my job was to uh, box up royalty statements into banker boxes. And I was working for a couple days with a Chinese guy. And I remember one time I had to call across the room to this guy that I was working with for only a day. And I was like, 
Ting, uh, hand me that box over there. And then he just stared at me, and I realized that was because his name was not Ting. Oh. I had falsely remembered his name as Ting, and what could be more insulting than saying to a Chinese right. guy, uh, Ting, <laughs> yes. your name. You might as well have done the, the Chinese babble that people do when they're horribly, racistly impersonating bad. Asian people. It sounds people. like I made it up to, purposefully to be racist, but right. I had like thought I had heard his name as Ting. I worked as a secretary to graphic design firm where Barbara, the office manager, once politely asked if I wouldn't mind picking up human feces in the uh, in the parking lot that a homeless guy had deposited. Oh. I had a lot of shit jobs. That's a yeah, literal a shit literal job. A literal shit job. In the middle of the day, she was like, ah, we're going to need you to go pick up shit in the parking lot. And you couldn't feel lower. But I think where I hit uh, my lowest was a job that my friend Chris Black generously got me. Uh, and I fucked it up. I fucked it up so bad. <laughs> It had a potential to be a good money-making job and was a good money-making job for Chris. I was a driver at an upscale cookie delivery job. Was cookies a, by design. Cookies by design, yes. Yes. And, and that was basically it was glorious. Like cookies for rich people, like extravagant yeah. cookies that were like frosted and they were artistry. and, and On a you know, stick. Yeah, yeah, like if a kid had like graduated from like tennis school, it would be <laughs> a giant <laughs> tennis racket cookie. And congratulations on your, your tennis graduation. Yeah. <laughs> congratulations, Kip. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Those those were the type of people that you were, uh, you know, taking these cookie bouquets, cookie pies, cookie everything. I don't know if you remember what the pay scale was, wasn't it? It was, it was like on... five bucks per cookie basket delivered. But do you remember there was also a sliding scale? Like if one was further away, it was like eleven dollars. Yes. No, but I think like you're the right. The harder a delivery it was, the more money. Yeah, so there you... were zones. Yeah. So like closer by, you're right. So closer by was like two or three bucks, and then if it was farther, it was five, and yeah. then like maybe seven. So you could. It was like Monopoly in a way, where you could, you know, like buy up the. <laughs> Easy properties and go for the things that are ten feet away for three dollars, or go for like yeah seventeen dollars way up in you, Santa you Rosita. Really, you're <laughs> yeah. really dreaming. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's Friday afternoon, three o'clock. I can make it. Chris was was really good at the job. He had a natural sense of direction, and he was like my sensei the first day. <laughs> Well, he drove me around, and we had a trunk full of cookies, and we went, and I, I just, I, funnily enough, where I learned that Chris was a good storyteller, because he told me all these stories about his life while we were driving around, and while he was doing it, he was also effortlessly being like, okay, we're going to go to, uh, you know, by the airport over here, and then we're we're Compton is close to the airport, and then we'll come here in Culver City, because it's nearby, and he like mapped it out all in his head. I had like, a whole like Google Maps in my head. You, why? No Thomas Guide. I don't know. I, I, I I, for my whole life, I've always remembered if I've been somewhere once, I'll get you back there. That to me is such an impressive quality because that's what worked against me. Like when I was in college, I remember once my comedy group had a show and it was in the big stage instead of the small stage, Lisner. And there was like a backstage with scaffolding and stuff. And I got separated from my comedy group and I got lost <laughs> and I didn't make it to the show. I just went home. I was like, I can't find it. Where's the exit? And I went home and they were all pissed at me and they went to the show without me. But that's how bad I got lost inside a building. It's like the spinal and- tap scene where they're like, Hello, hello. Yes, yeah, yeah. Where they're going to the backstage. Oh, we'll stay right here, and then you, when you find it, you come back. That's exactly what it was. And so when I was driving around with you, I was lulled into a false sense of security Aww. that it was a job that was going to be okay. I remember the directions that you told me that day were very savvy directions, and you said, "We're going from house to house, and the owners of the cookie place give you a sheet where they have all these slots that people are supposed to sign for the cookies." Yeah. And you said, "Now." If you get everyone to sign for these cookies, 
you will never deliver a single cookie basket or you will make $12 <laughs> in eight hours of work. Because yeah. this is the middle of the day. They're never home. So yeah. what you have to do, and I know this might go against ethics, but you have to drop off the cookies inside where they're safe and you have to just do the signature <laughs> itself. Yeah. And I said to me, makes sense. And the other... It was like 50-50. Like, like yeah. you know, half the time there's a nanny answering the door and they're like, Superman not home. No, I don't know. <laughs> No, yeah. like, um, no, but they would sign, and you're like, okay, well, the nanny got the cookies, whatever. For me, it was more like 90-10. <laughs> like when I was like, oh, we could forge them? You also gave me another piece of advice. Cookies by Design had a standing contract with a laser eye surgery company where they would automatically, to whoever had gotten laser eye surgery with them, Cookies by Design would send out a little mug that said, like, yes. Manfred Lasers Eye Surgery, or whatever it was called, and there was like a shortbread eye cookie yeah. inside of it with like a black eye. And it was delicious. It was delicious. And the reason he knows it was delicious is because (laughs) the advice that he gave was, look, they have this standing contract. Now, for every one of these, you got about 25 of them in your car, and you got about 14, 15 other deliveries. For every one of these, you make about $3. So you just have to look at these things as bonus. (laughs) Nobody knows if they're actually getting them because they're surprised. So nobody calls to complain. So you take care of your primary deliveries. And and then if you have some time or it's on the way. They can't see, really. They just have laser eyes. I know. I'm a giant yeah, scammer like, is basically yeah. what it comes down to. You were, you were savvy in a way savvy, that I could never savvy. be. <laughs> and Chris actually used to live with my, my current writing partner. And I remember before I even had the cookie job, there was an area back by their foosball table and like where their like videos were. Sounds like a It palace, was a pile of mugs and eye cookies <laughs> that had never reached their destination. So much so that it was like, oh, oh welcome to Mark, Dave, and Blackie's house. Please accept our complimentary eye cookie for like a, like a leg coming off the plane in Hawaii. But let me get your mug before you go. Take, take it with you. <laughs> you want a mug? Take two. When I started this job, I just started dating Jenny. I was only about a year eye cookies and mugs began to accrue in her apartment in the corner because I couldn't deliver any of them because <laughs> as we were talking about before, before, I had no sense of direction. So every time I looked at a new place, I had to painstakingly, back in the days of the Thomas Guide, before like being able to map out your, your trip on a phone, I had to look and play that battleship game that was like B4, yeah. H7. <laughs> okay, I'll put myself on the map. I turn right, cross the dotted line, like constantly. And I couldn't, be like, I, it would constantly slow me down. On top of that, on the first day, I was in Chris Black's car, which was a, a sturdy, dependable car. And my car, it was my I was Honda, driving. My Honda Civic hatchback. I That'll last you forever. <laughs> yeah. Until I didn't pay parking tickets on it, and they impounded it. <laughs> oh, that's the same thing that happened to my Ford Probe. Yeah. I remember your Probe. That <laughs> was a sweet ride, yeah. That was, that was a sweet. That was the, the ride that sealed the deal. The hell yeah. <laughs> I went to prom in a, in a Ford Probe when I was in 10th grade, and I thought that girl was rich. I was like, <laughs> I went to prom in a Ford Probe, guys. That Ford Probe. I was having a problem with coolant. And oh. every time I drive a, a large distance, which I was doing with these cookies, the heat gauge would go up and I'd start to smell like what I recognized as that sweet smell yeah. of coolant. I always had to stop to let the engine cool. And then there was like the embarrassment factor because the Ford Probe, it made this weird like tink-a-dee-tink-a-dee-tink-a-dee-tink-a-dee-tink that made me sound like the ice cream man. That I was like, that I was like, I remember going on a date with a girl who was like, ah, that guy seems cool, going on a date. And then tink-a-dee-tink-a-dee-tink-a-dee-tink. And then she's like, ah, I don't know if it's going to work out. And I know it was the car and not me. And that wasn't the only car, right? It wasn't. Only three or four days that I was doing this job, I was like, okay, this car's not going to work. So I borrowed a car from a friend of mine. And I don't know why I thought this was a step up. I guess only because it didn't have coolant problems. But it was like like an 87 maroon Volvo. Well, Volvos are step up. You think 
cars think. step up. But it's like this car had nothing left inside because I would describe it like when I would go, some of the deliveries were in like the mountains of Santa Monica. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the mountains that they used to like represent the Korea canyons, and MASH. The canyons, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And when you're driving up them and they get steeper and steeper, my car would feel and sound like a roller coaster car, like as it would go up the hill. So all that is basically to say that I was not good at this job. So I quickly got behind, and I remember one day, I was getting more and more behind. It was the day before Halloween, and there were all these Halloween party plates in the car, and I was in the valley, and it had been a long day already, and everybody, because they were waiting for cookies for a party, they were home for my deliveries that were always two hours late, so they were there to yell at me. So with each passing one, I was getting more and more upset, and I remember this moment where I was somewhere in the valley, an, an apartment complex, looking around it and not being able to find it, and I was on the phone, screaming with my now and then writing partner Dave and I was like we need to write harder we need to write I, I can't cookies where is 150 and a half we need to write harder I'm not built like Chris Black <laughs> yeah I'm gonna die on this job Dave and the day continued on and day turned into night and I remember it was around 9.30 at night, I had started at 8.30 in the morning, and I was still delivering these fucking Halloween cookies <laughs> for parties oh. that had long oh, since yeah. been in full swing. Yeah. And, I, and I knew that I was fucked for everyone that I was gonna drop off, because they would be madder and madder. And I finally got to the hills of Bel Air, and I reached what seemed to be like several gated communities. <laughs> yeah. And there was one where I, I, I had to go up to the top of the hill to the culver sack, and shortly before that, I had given up. And testament to what a good girlfriend Jenny was, even a little under a year in at the time, she came to rescue me in my roller coaster cart. And she was like, it's okay, we'll go together, you only have a couple <laughs> more left. Yeah. And I brought my then stellar Mercury Mystique. Oh, sweet. <laughs> the big guns. <laughs> and we went to this cul-de-sac where there were all these gates and I went up with this cookie basket and I was looking at the intercom button and I realized it was 10.30 and this guy's this guy's party was over and he was probably home and I like kind of like looked cowardice in the face and chose cowardice because uh, uh, instead of like pushing the button I placed the cookie thing at the foot of the intercom and then I walked up to it, and right as I was walking away, they must have had automatic lights because it felt like I did something wrong because all of a sudden, like, all these lights came on. Yeah, and I dived into Jenny's car, and that was that was pretty much the feeling of, like, how did I end up here <laughs> fleeing from this place? And it was only the next morning, and I still had to turn in my sheet the next day to get paid, when Chris Black called me, my guru, my mentor. Your cookie Yoda. My cookie Yoda, and he called me, and he said... Hey, uh, hey! I just wanted to uh, touch base with you and, and 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 give you a little heads up. You know that thing where I said where you know we w you give the signatures ahead of time when they're not home. Uh, there's one in Bel Air where I wouldn't I wouldn't really do that with because the cookies were eaten by wild dogs. <laughs> <laughs> All right, hope you're doing well, buddy. Take care. <laughs> I remember. Shame. Such oh. shame. It was only since then that I realized that you called me, but they knew you were you were like a known trusted source. So there must have been some sort of conversation was like, oh, your friend, by the way, he delivered the cookies right unto the dogs. You right. know, like, yeah. I think probably I'm trying. I can't remember the guy's name. 
believe me, they ended up firing me too at some point. But <laughs> that made me tons of Christmas money, though. Yeah, like, totally. I remember, I like, oh. I like bet that 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 was the money that saved Christmas. As hard that was as the, it cookies was. That Christmas. <laughs> yeah, the cookies, the cookies that, that saved Christmas. Yeah, the cookies that saved Christmas. Now, did you have? Uh, you once had in Los Angeles a cab driving job. Oh my God, I had every uh, freaking job, man. Yeah, I was. I drove a, a checkered cab for about th four months. And Dave McHugh, your writing partner, at one point I told Dave, I was like. Because at the beginning, I was like, this job's great. I get up whenever I want. I work whenever I want. Nobody's hassling me. I was born to do this job, Dave. And Dave was like, I felt so awful and horrible when you said that to me. <laughs> because I felt like you'd given up. <laughs> you're, you're born for better than this, Chris Black. Dave gives a hell of a pep talk. He, does, he does. I felt like you. What was the, the turning point for you in the aftermath of the great cookie debacle of 2003? That was, I think, 2000. Well, it was probably, it was either late 2003 early 2004. or early 2004. If it was early 2004, it was when Dave and I got our, our job on, on, on Dave Letterman, which came like a thunderbolt from out of nowhere. And that was really the, you know, that was, that was, it, I wouldn't say when it, it's when the shit spackling on the road to greatness ended. Better, just different not quality like, shit. I'm not exactly throwing white hot heat right now, but I was able from that point on to, through lean times and good times, piece together uh, jobs that were, were, were writing jobs with Dave. And, uh, and, and so I think that is, is when I left behind my, my last Really shitty job. Yeah. Although there was one time where I, uh, Jenny knows as well, where I got a like kind of like you talked about before. I got a traffic ticket and I owed like five hundred bucks. Ugh. And I was like, you know what? I'm not gonna let these fuckers beat me this time. It's like I'm a writer. I got all this time. I'll do community service yeah. to not pay. And I, they assigned me to a Goodwill. <laughs> and I thought, oh, that that'd be nice. That's kind of like charity. And <laughs> And it was like basically three days of this Ethiopian guy saying like, well, yeah, I mean, he had a phrase. He almost had a catchphrase that he used to beat me to death with. He was like, uh, Matthew, there is a, a large uh, shelving system over there. Oh, oh okay. What, what, what do you need? Bring it to me. <laughs> like put the fucking thing on my back and bring it to me. I was so tired. I was so not conditioned for like bring it to me. real people work. Bring it Left to track. me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. That was the catchphrase. Yeah, it was a horrible, me. horrible catchphrase used against me at this uh, Goodwill job. It seemed to me from your stories, you always were able to, like you were just saying with a cab driving job, like I'm, I wake up in the morning, it's not so bad. Even at times where it was so hard to keep afloat of finding the positive side of it and a lot of times being good at it, being good at whatever job like you didn't seem like so you what were you're saying is right. Chris Black functional human functional human, Matt, human. Matt Flanagan not okay. so much okay. he was he was good at it I he did what I had to like... do to stay alive yeah. no, I, you know what I was just to be honest with you I was really immature and young and naive like I said and the world was my oyster in my 20s man there was it was a joke not even a joke. It was a game we played that involved all the people that we knew, Dave and I, or that we both knew, that were common to us, that we oh, both I knew as friends. This. And what we would do is we, we would say, a la the Lord of the Rings, which of these people's heart is most equipped most pure to, to carry the ring? Meaning like, and we'd like take some friends and be like, oh, he'd be all about sex and use it to like go crazy. Or this guy lies a lot and he would use it to like become more powerful. And like, and Matt Flanagan, <laughs> Matt Flanagan definitely wouldn't be good because he's a, a liar and a cheat. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's my husband. No, because he'd get lost on the way. He'd get lost on the way. He'd get lost on the way with the rest. Now, Mordor is age 26. And you want me to go through the marshes of wood? The pit of fire is not drivable. This horse is leaking coolant. Chris Wood was the our choice, our universal choice, for he didn't I think see it, but he was a pure of heart and such a good positive guy that he was the one who we would we would choose. And I encourage all of you out there to look at your group of friends and figure out ahead of time which of them would hold the ring. <laughs> I am, I'm flattered and is my heart is melting. This is one of my less pure of heart stories, nice. actually. So this is a rare, although I think maybe the pureness of my heart is probably what got me there. Are you going to lose the ring way. in this story? No, no. <laughs> okay. If anything, you, y'all are going to give me a couple rings. <laughs> okay, so I'll start from the end, and then I'll go back and flash back. We're going to do like a, nice. we're going to do the way they're doing TV series now. We're going to show you the end. I love it. I'm standing at the foot of Dave McHugh's bed. <laughs> It's 5.30 in the morning. The sun has just started to come up. There's blood on my shoes. Oh, that took a turn. And I'm going, Dave, Dave, I think I did something really bad, man. (laughs) Dave. And he wakes up, and he's like, what the hell is going on? I think I did something really bad. And, uh... Blood well, on your shoes. Yeah, it wasn't a lot of blood, but it was enough that I could see it there. I had I had those checkered vans. So that's the tableau we've set. So flashback, probably about a year and a half before, I'm at Punk Rock Bowling Tournament in Las Vegas, Nevada. Because you do. Because that's what you do when you're a drummer in a punk rock band. You go to Punk Rock Bowling Tournament. I met a young lady, and instantly we were like, boom, connected. In a party kind of way. <laughs> And we got real tight, and we went home from punk rock bowling. And this is right when texting had just started, right? Everybody's texting. Text me. Text me. This is, I think, like 2005. It's not going to last. <laughs> hey, just hit me up with the text when you get... What the hell's texting? Anyway, so we're texting. I'm texting with this girl on the way back. We're all excited. We start hanging out. Literally, like, a few months later, we've, we've moved in together. <laughs> she was a whole lot of fun. She was into the band. She, likes, she liked lots of bands. In the end, I found out she was a groupie, pretty much. But, mm. um, but we got hot and heavy. We got engaged the following year at oh, Punk Rock Bowling okay. Tournament. In fact, how yeah, old so were you? How old were you at this moment? About uh, I was. Uh, this was 2005, so I was 28. So uh, anyway, we move in together in Eagle Rock with my bandmates mm-hmm. and her best friend, who is an absolute pig of a human being nice. uh, and the worst person on the planet. <laughs> and you remember Swain, my dog Swain, oh, who is so well-behaved and so best lovely? Best dogs ever. Yeah, yes. that dog took a shit in, in her, her bedroom. He just knew. <laughs> That's Swain the kind knew, of person yeah. she was. Like, the nicest dog on the planet is like, dogs. you're a terrible person. I'm going to poop in here. Yep. <laughs> um, anyway, we're living together. We're making plans for the wedding. We have sent out invitations, and I go on tour. Okay. We went to punk rock bowling the following year. Well, she met somebody there, somebody else there. Suddenly, they're hanging out, and he's posted on her on her MySpace page. So at first, I'm like, oh, whatever. They, you know, they're friends. And so I'm away on tour. We've sent out uh, invitations to our wedding, and I'm starting to see more of these posts on 
her MySpace page. Like it's it's Valentine's Day and I'm seeing these guys posting stuff and like little, uh -huh. little weird shit. Hey, hot stuff. Happy Valentine. Like that kind of okay. shit. You know yeah, what I mean? That would like raise, still innocent yeah. enough, but like from like mm, if you're yeah. at all smart, you're like hmm. Yeah. But it's at no point story. was there a MySpace reply that was like, I am engaged to be married. Right. 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 <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. So I'm a little bit like wary of it. Right. But I'm away on tour trying to do my best, being a good boy. Yeah. There's girls everywhere. They're on the bus after shows. They're they're everywhere. Uh -huh. you, you behave when you're engaged to be married. There's and the ring. I start. That's right. <laughs> so I start hearing stories, little phone calls from my buddies, like, "Hey, uh, Jamie and uh, Mark are. Uh, I saw them out at the Burgundy Room, and they don't look like they're just friends." So I'm getting yeah. all these like uh -huh. hints that I finally I did something that I am not. I started to get very paranoid and very like jealous. And I, I logged into her MySpace page because I knew that her password. And I went right. into her messages and saw a whole string <sighs> of like love letters between the two of them, right? Like, Holy I couldn't shit. even think at work today. I can't, I was staring into my soup. Like, I can't wait till I see you again. I'm like, oh my God, she's having like this love affair of words with this oh. guy, right? Oh my God. And then you don't want to believe it because you're like, when you're so far in it, even yeah. though you know everything's wrong, you're like, we can fix it. We right. can fix it. <laughs> So I see this shit and I'm like, oh my God, I think we were in Wisconsin or something at that point and on tour. And I was like, she's cheating on me, guys. Like she's fully cheating on me. Oh shit. Like, look at, like, check this shit out. So I called her and I was like, is there anything I should be worried about? You know, I'm out here on tour with this guy. I know you guys have been hanging out, but like, you're just friendly, right? It's cool. I was giving her an opportunity to come clean. I said, is there anything I need to worry about with this guy? I just had a bad dream, and I just I, I just want to make sure. <laughs> Not betraying nice. your, you know, your intel. A bad cool, dream I where I hacked into your MySpace page. Yeah, yeah. Just a dream. Wackity schmackity do. <laughs> um, so <laughs> she's like, no, we're just friends. Don't worry about it. So I'm like, okay, well, she straight up lied to my face. She insisted on, on lying through the whole thing, which actually made me crazier. Did right? you call her out on that call, or did you still hang out? I back? did eventually. Right. Yeah. But first... I got on MySpace and I sent a message to this guy and I said, hey man, I just want you to know, I understand you two are hanging out and I'm all for people having friends, but we're engaged to be married and do the right thing. Like put yourself in my shoes, I'm out on tour, I'm not home and you're hanging out with my fiance and it sounds like it's getting, you know, like, yeah. like bro to bro, like don't be a dick. Now this is just, we're just scratching the surface. It continues on, she continues to lie. So much so that I decided, you know what guys, I need to leave tour for a couple days and go mm. home and fix this. This is my fiance and I need to figure out what's going on. We had a couple days off, so I flew home. I got home and she like couldn't remember what arm my tattoos were on because she'd been hanging out with this guy who was covered in tattoos. <laughs> oh, so I'm like, okay, well that's another big sign. But anyway, she's like saying, I still love you. I just need some space. Like, I don't know, I'm freaked out and I'm not seeing him. I just, I need some time to myself. And my answer was, that's fine. Take all the time you need, but don't, I'm not giving you time to go date someone else and then decide if I'm still an option figure out what you got to do. Finally, she moves out of the place. At this point, we'd had a place of our own together. This was our, our we had moved out from the bandmates and we'd moved in together to, to do the, the whole married thing. So we had had the wedding shower. That's how close we were. Whoa. And we had all the gifts at our place and she'd opened all the gifts. And what it did to me was like, I'm like, am I fucking nuts? Like, come on, like, it's clear this is happening. Knew. You saw yeah. the evidence. Yeah, and yeah, she's yeah. like, I want to marry you. I love you. I just need time. You know, so she's telling me one thing and telling him another and, and just making me absolutely crazy. So one night I'm playing poker with the boys. We're at the Bowery. It's like four in the morning. 
Mm. And I happened to win. The, I won the pot that night, and I was feeling confident. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going over there. She was staying with her shit asshole of a friend, uh, the right. girl right, who swained. Right. She was Had staying with on. that girl. I thought, I'm going to go over there, and I'm going to tell her, let's just end it now and be done. Like, I'm moving on. I'm tired of being, like, you know, lied to and dragged, dragged around and, and basically just. Right. You've been, you've been more than Let on or whatever. Yeah. So I get there. And I see her car, and I see this motherfucker's motorcycle outside. Ugh. And I'm like, no way. It's 4.30 in the morning. It's around just there. having coffee. Yeah. Early morning coffee. coffee. So I went up to the front door, and I was going to knock. And for some reason, instead of knocking, I saw my hand going to the knob, and I turned the doorknob, and it's unlocked, and the door uh. opens, right? Uh. And I walk in the living room. <laughs> I walk into the living room. And there they are, wrapped up in a sheet on the couch in the living room. And just to preface this, the asshole shithole friend that of hers. Sorry, that's I, I can't help it, but she's just the worst. She's the worst person on the planet. Was she her big ever. confidant too? Like yes, terrible. They're groupies. Lady Macbeth type. They yes. were both groupies. They hung out with Bad Religion and No Effects guys, and like were wishing that one of them would marry him someday. And all those guys were doing were just like banging him whenever they felt like it. They were so yes. bad that the one I- idiot friend was sleeping with one of bad religions roadies like she was that bad a groupie really? that she was sleeping with the roadies so she yeah. could hang out she with the band. couldn't even that's, ascend that's worse the actual band that's worse a groupie than i was a cookie delivery yeah. guy. <laughs> you're a terrible groupie yeah, that's pretty bad <laughs> she being the worst person on the planet uh with karma had had a fire in her new apartment which was an old little bungalow but she had a space heater and it had caught huh. the floor on fire and uh, so there was a hole in the floor about, you know, like two feet wide, two by two, by two whatever. There was a hole in the floor. Isn't it funny how awful people tend to attract catastrophe, yes. disaster, 100%. drama, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And it was always some, you know, it was never her fault and the, the world's against her and this mm-hmm. and that. And, and it's like, well, you, you're, it's like the secret, but the secret for, for shit. Spackling. <laughs> you're right. It's rever- shit, reverse right. secret. Shit yeah. secret. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Back to the door opening, swinging open. I see them wrapped into a sheet on the couch, and I went red. I wish that I had taken a deep breath and sat down next to them both and said, "Hey guys, Impossible. try lying to me now. Like you're you're clearly, you know, you can't lie to me anymore. And this is done and and taking the high road. I wish I had, but I saw red, and I went over, and his face was peeking out, and I just started punching the shit out of him. I punched him oh so God. hard." He woke up, she flies out of there, is in the corner screaming, ah! And I'm just beating the shit, and he's like, oh, chill out, man, chill out, man. And he, like, was able enough to back me up where my foot went through the hole in the floor, and it was down to the, um, <laughs> like, there was, like, probably two feet there where it was just, like, a crawl space or whatever. And so Holy my foot was down in the dirt, shit. right? And then my adrenaline kicks in, and I just shove him, and I shove him oh, over the couch. I had beaten him up so badly, he thought he had broken, like, broken jaw and broken bones and stuff, but he had two black eyes, he was blood, blood on my shoes everywhere, right? And I got him over the couch, and when I did that, I ran out the front door, and on my way out, like, a Japanese animation film where there's the, you're flying with a high kick in the air, and the lights are going <laughs> behind you, you know? And you're like, <laughs> straight at his motorcycle, boom! <laughs> <laughs> send it right the on the cherry side. on the Sunday. Yeah, yeah. Send it. I kick that motherfucking cycle right over, right? And it goes on the ground. And then I start walking away. 
and I'm stewing. I'm like, God damn it. Like, what? The, the shit, like, they made me look like a total asshole. They made me look <laughs> like such an idiot. <laughs> I am, uh, you know. You know when, when Frodo is forced to beat you to within an inch of yeah, your you life, know. you've made some poor life decisions. <laughs> when you've yeah, lost yeah, Frodo, yeah, right. you've lost the you've war lost of the One yeah. slip up in life, guys, I'm telling you. <laughs> I know. I had judges when I had to go to court in the end. Being like, well, in Texas, if you you could have killed him and gotten away with it, like all the judges were on my side. They were what like, was the final was prognosis? A, so yeah, that wait, was wait, like, wait, I'll wait. get to it. Yeah. I just heard court. You're, yeah, you I'll knock over the motorcycle. I knock over the motorcycle. I start heading back to my car, like all like the adrenaline's pumping, and I'm like, this is bullshit. They can't get away with this. And then I turn around and I start going back for more. <laughs> and when I go oh. back, the asshole girlfriend is out there, like. Starting to, I'm gonna call the cops out. And I pick up, there was like a broom handle or something. And I start weed whacking. They got flowers in the front. And I'm like, shoom, shoom, chopping all the oh. flowers off the fucking flower beds. <laughs> like, I knocked the phone out of her hand. I'm like, bring it, you fucking bitch. Like, you know, I was oh like, I was God. so fed up with it. He's inside, and I can see Jamie attending to him. And he's like, hands in his head, you know, and blood everywhere, you know. And he's like, and she's freaking out. And uh, she's like, I'm calling the cops. I'm calling the cops. And as, oh, sorry, reverse. So when I came back before I was doing the flower trimming, <laughs> I had grabbed, there was like some landscaping nearby and there was like a little, like a rock, like a boulder, probably about the size of a, of a milk jug maybe. Oh. And I went over to his bike and I was like, Hulk smash, Hulk oh smash. My God. Doing as much damage to it as I, I could. I love that this is a never ending thing. Where, where, the, where, where it go, the beating and, uh, and uh, on them and their the surroundings over. goes on so long that there's like people in the background and then you leave and enter screen and re-enter screen and you're hopping on the bike in the background, <laughs> doing the flowers, dragging the bike. It's like a Benny it goes Hill on episode. For 45 minutes. <laughs> That's how mad you were. That's how mad oh, anybody would have oh, been. I was, I yeah. mean, come on, you know? It was my whole yeah. life. Like I was, I was ready. I was in it, man. I was like there. I was ready to like marry this girl, and you know, and as as ill advised as I may have been, or as as stupid as I had been in my head, I was there. I was 100% committed, even though it was the wrong thing to do. Clearly, you know, to be marrying her. But so I'm I'm smashing the bike, and she's like, I'm gonna call the cops. Finally, I leave and I go home. And that is when I went to Valentine Street, where I hadn't been living because I'd been living with the with the girl with oh, the right. fiance, moved, right? mm -hmm. and I still had a key. <laughs> and at this point, Forever it, was, Valentine. it was about 5.30 in the morning, and I just let myself in, and I walked into Dave McHugh's room, and there I, there I was standing in front of, in foot of his bed with blood on my shoes. Dave, I think it did something bad. <laughs> uh, and I, how did I get there? How did I get how there? How did you get yeah. there? Right? Jesus, right, more than anything, yes. <laughs> Crazy. I mean, I guess I could Someone say. Someone else's blood on your feet. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I could say, and then and then Dave's like, you gotta lay low, man. You can't go back to your apartment. <laughs> I love it. That's it. I'll take you to a safe house. <laughs> I'm on the lam, see? Um, and from there, I went over to my cousin's place. And a couple days later, I got a call from uh, from the LAPD, and and they're like, we'd like to speak with Chris Black. And I'm like, this is him. You know, they're like, this is what went down. We have witness accounts. We have this and that. And I'm like, it was me. I'm not gonna lie to you. I was. I'm the guy. I. You know, it was all me. So what happened? Well, we're engaged to be married, and I found her in bed with someone else. And the guy's like, everyone that had to prosecute me was like, man, I can't say I blame you, but unfortunately in California, we have uh, to prosecute you. Yeah. Because if, if there's any domestic disturbance, I never touched her, not a hair on her body. Yeah. I would right. never, and would, ever, yeah. ever, ever. No way. That's why he got the beating of his life, because mm -hmm. I wouldn't, couldn't. So in the end, I, I admitted to everything, and, and I had to go to court and in the end they defended me and they got the charges down to misdemeanors and I had to go to anger management and I had to do community service <laughs> 120 fucking hours of community oh. service I was covering up paint and I was uh, hey, hey Rocky uh, bring it to me yeah. <laughs> 
But by the end, they loved me, and like I, I got to go with the guy who pressure washes the streets because all you do is cruise around in a truck and then go stop and pressure wash and stuff. What was the lasting effect on your, for lack of a better word, psyche mm. in regards to trust issues? Mm. Uh, you know what? Luckily, I think I'm pretty solid inside, so I didn't. Uh, after I got over it, but right. you just feel, you just feel, like. I don't know. I, I just felt like done wrong. I, you just feel you're like, man, like your pride hurts, your everything hurts. You're like, man, that was just that just it was hard. I mean, and even though I knew it was awful for me and I dodged a bullet, mm -hmm. I was for like six months. I was grieving like the, the, the relationship yeah. was done. I was sad. And after about six months, I moved back in with the boys at Valentine Street. They let me pitch the tent in the uh, breakfast nook. And, That's uh, right. <laughs> and I started good back, times. Yeah, I got back with my buddies, and I started to feel normal. And a month later, I met my now wife. And 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 if I had not gone through that situation that I did, I would never Absolutely. have been good for my wife, because of what That's I learned. It works and it was out. a tough, tough lesson. Because yeah. I still, I'm still dealing with it in my current life. Because every time I apply for a job or anything, you know, and it comes up when they do the background check, I have to do extra paperwork and like explain myself and. What and, would the uh, it hasn't stopped me from getting a job, but what were know. the circumstances of the reapproach? Like, I had how a did that friend, happen? I had a friend who was, you know, friendly with him. We all ran in the same circles, like you know, in that that little punk rock world. Everybody knew everybody for the most part. One of my closer friends was like, "Dan, it's too bad that all that happened because you know." Mark's actually a pretty cool guy. <laughs> like you'd no. like him, uh, right. and I'm like, oh man. And so, after a while, he kind of put out the the. I, I wasn't supposed to go near him. Like that was part right. of the court order, right? I had to pay him for his medical bills, but I wasn't supposed to go near him. And at some point, like a year later or something, he he said, you know what? I'm bartending over at the Bigfoot. Why don't you come in and I'll buy you a beer? So we went in there and he bought me a beer. And I said, you know, I'm really sorry that you took the brunt of that. It was just, you know. He goes, hey, I don't blame you. I went. She put me through the same thing, man. She was yeah. telling me. She was lying oh. to me, telling me that you were crazy and that she'd broken it off a million times. Before. And then I'm you like, both oh left God. together and beat the shit yeah. out of him. <laughs> He's like, she, did, she turned around and did the same thing to me. I dated her for a while. I was so far gone. And then she just bailed on me. So oh. she's obviously got her issues. I think, I don't know whatever happened uh, uh, to her. I had heard she got engaged, but I don't think that ever, I think she left him too. Why did I fall in love with you, you super-headed bitch? You've got an ego the size of California State. right our age <laughs> you start to notice that life gives you chunks of good years and bad years and you can sometimes only in retrospect pinpoint the moment that the difference occurs that there was a moment when the good years turned bad or that the bad years turned good mm -hmm. and so this is a story about the time in my life when the only time in my life really when I can point to the actual day <laughs> that marked the end of one of those times and the beginning of the other. So in the eras of my life, there is the Flanagan meets Josephson era. And in that era, you've got uh, a couple chunks of good years, bad years, which is like 2001 was vacation dating. 2002 to 2004 was 
the getting to know you tough years. 2004 to 2007 was amazing. It was like really great for Matt and really great for me professionally. And it was a great year freelancing. I went to India with Dan Rather. I met the Dalai Lama. Like Two World Series for the Red Sox. Two World Series for the Red Sox. <laughs> it was just amazing. And then 2008 to 2009 came. And that is a period of time that we just call not good. <laughs> Um, because there was this writer's strike that was in the end of 2007, beginning of 2008. And it was a huge blow to everybody in the industry across the industry. So you had that, then you had a global financial crisis just for the fun of it, right? Right. Which struck a huge blow to freelancers. And then other scary things were going on in November of 2008, which are a whole nother story. By Christmas of 2008, we had we had so much debt and we were so poor from all of this, you know, trauma going on that the only thing we could afford to put under the Christmas tree were like five different magazines of Barack Obama being elected president of the United <laughs> States. And so we had it was the little, gift the world gave to yeah, us. That's right. The little Christmas tree and all these cheerful pictures of like change and hope and hope and history. And I was like, well, we can't afford presents, but we got a great president. <laughs> so, Finally, you know, and we wanted to get married, but we didn't have any money to pull up a wedding. And it was, I mean, this goes on for a little. And then late 2009, Matt ended up in the hospital and we didn't know if he would get out in time to, go to Christmas and Christmas as you can tell is important we didn't have insurance and so things got even uglier and you know I remember if you want a low point like a point in which it was just like oh god I remember going around with Matt and picking out presents and wrapping them myself so that he could give them to me because he had just gotten in the hospital and he was still not feeling well. Yeah, and that is a big thing. Jenny mentioned Christmas before, but I am I, no one keeps Christmas better than Matt Flanagan. And oh, I'm the with fact you. I love that it. I, yeah, I love it. I mean, it is like like a little kid still for me. And that year was actually Jenny's not saying that I got out of the hospital for like bipolar episodes, and. Uh, I I completely lost. It sounds cliche, but like lost the meaning of Christmas. Like yeah. every every year, I'm always one of those like, yeah, we have to do this, we have to do that, we have to sing carols. I'm I got a long list. But that year, I just didn't care. And the epitome of it was you picking out Christ, Christmas presents for you for me to buy, and me saying, all right, I guess that's what we'll do. You know, yeah. so it was like super low. Yeah, and so 2010 like didn't start out much better. I mean, three of Matt's remaining grandparents all died within the span of a year. <laughs> And we just decided we had to get married because like this trip to the hospital had convinced us that we needed legal protection because like you go in the hospital and if you, the person doesn't say, oh, Jenny's the one who can come and make the decisions. Then you're screwed. You're screwed. And, and believe me, like there are couples in this world that aren't even allowed to have that protection. So, you know, we got we, bullshit. We're just yeah. bullshit. And we got a little taste of that. So we got married in the backyard, very low key. We went out to Cat and Fiddle, had bangers and mash after we got married. And and I and like to think, bangers. yeah. <laughs> and I like to think that between December of two thousand nine, which was definitely the how did we get here moment, that the wedding in February of two thousand ten was sort of like the beginning of the new hope. It was like turning your fist to the sky and saying, "We're not going to take this. We will get." better yeah, the long climb four. upward yeah. yeah really and so then matt goes to for another funeral to boston for his nana flan again mm. and it's at this time that our cat zoe disappears she just disappears and like i had to pick matt up at the airport and just be like uh, uh how was your funeral was everything good everything was good here because i didn't want to tell him until we got home that our cat had been missing for four days and this was like this beautiful black cat with a white tip on her tail and she was born under a dumpster, oh. and some family took her for a week and then was like, you know what? 
nah, and then put her back under the dumpster, and our friends found her, and that's how we got her. So she always had like a little outdoor independent streak, and she was just gone. And so I finally had to tell Matt, and we would go like searching the streets, shaking her her favorite treats, hoping. She, I mean, it was terrible. I'm surprised you didn't pull the old sitcom, get a black cat and spray paint the head. Right? <laughs> that's funny. Because it's not it's, Zoe. I was tempted because I couldn't imagine giving Matt more bad news. Oh. We went to the shelters to look for it, but she was just gone. Gone. <laughs> so we had to try to make our peace with it. We didn't do a very good job. Q to May of 2010, and I go to New York. And I go to New York, because I was born and raised there, so I have to see family, see friends. Like, I used to go to New York a lot, and I would go in May. And May is kind of a stupid time to go to New York if you're the wife of a comedy writer, because that is the peak of comedy writer staffing season. And so <laughs> imagine me being away like many of the Mays in which you're, you're at the fork in the road where your year is either going to be great yeah. Or not. So I'm in New York, and this is that time where in 2010, we're just out of resources. Like, this is the year that if we don't get something, and but when I say we, I mean me, Matt, Dave, like the whole family. The whole operation. <laughs> the whole operation. It's really close to the point where we might have to pack it up and go home. Where all of those in-between jobs do become your job. Yeah. And like Matt did not want to go back to those. And I was still like wobbling around not knowing what the hell I was going to do. And like when it's down to the last iron in the fire, you look up at the universe and you're like, just give me something. Just something. Throw me a freaking bone here. <laughs> Throw me a bone. Um, all right. So ready for the date? May 19th, 2010. I think it's a Saturday or a Sunday. I'm not sure. Saturday. Saturday. Ah, oh, see? Yeah. And I am going on the subway from the airport side of Manhattan out to Brooklyn to see a really good dear friend of mine. And Matt has a funny thing, which it's ironic for a guy who I bought him his first cell phone and he never still used to answer it and you didn't used to be in touch. But Matt needs to be in touch with you all the time. <laughs> and so if you do as pick, I say, not as I yeah, do. Yeah, if you don't pick up that phone within like three rings, you're in a lot of trouble. And so the subway in New York does not have service, or, right. or it may now, but at that time it's, it's certain, better now. It's but it's better but now. Back then, no way. Right. So that's forty-five solid minutes of like going to Brooklyn out of touch. And I get out, and it was the Hoyt. I looked it up. It was the Hoyt Skirmahorn Station. It's like right between downtown Brooklyn and like where it starts to become nice, like Cobble Hill and Carroll Gardens and all that. That's for y'all New Yorkers there. And I, I get out of the subway and I look up my phone. I have five missed calls from Matt. And I just like, I almost didn't call back because I was like, five missed calls is either good news, but we've had so much bad news lately. <laughs> oh. that I just don't think I can take it. But I am a wife. I am a wife. And I called back. And I answer the phone. I, you know, I call him. He picks up the phone. He's talking a mile a minute. And it's not even two minutes into the call. I am sobbing. Just sobbing. He tells me what he has to tell me. He hangs up the phone. I stumble to my friend's house. She buzzes me in. And I'm like in the elevator crying. And she opens the door. And I'm crying. And she looks at me. And there are tears streaming down my face. And I tell her what's happened. And she, I'll never forget this look of horror on her face. And she goes, what? And I repeated the news again. And she looked even more terrified. And she said, 
is he okay? And I'm thinking to myself, what do you mean he's okay? I was like, what, wait, what did you think I said? And she said, you just told me that Matt got robbed. And I said, no, no, Matt got a job. (laughs) (laughs) And so it was that Cindy Shupak, who is writer for Sex and the City, got her own show, read a script that Matt and Dave had written called In the Balance, briefly talked to them, what, on the phone? Yeah. And decided at the last possible minute, hired them over email and saved our lives. Yeah, it had been two years since we'd had a substantial job uh, at that writing job at that time. That was an incredible leap of faith on her part, and we are forever grateful. And you would think that that's the end of the story. So Diane and I, like, we have a good laugh over the miscommunication. We go to coffee. We spend time. I go back. I get back on the subway. Another 45-minute thing. And I get get to 42nd Street, and I have to transfer trains. And I have this weird feeling in my stomach. Like, I'm already, like, you know, even good news when you're on the razor's edge can, like, treat you like bad news because yeah. you're you've been holding your breath emotionally for so long that like it's like oh god so you're unsettled so i was unsettled and of course the train i want is not coming because it's new york and i get this just feeling growing and growing and so i do something that i've honestly never done before i leave the subway and go out and i'm at four like the north end of the station 44th and 8th and i have 10 calls oh, shit from Mathland again on top of the five. On top before. of the five from before. That's 15. That's 15 calls. That's 15 calls. Yeah. And I, my first thought is, oh my God, she took the job back. Yeah. There was a mistake. And so. That call, would happen. Yeah. <laughs> and so I call Matt and his voice is shaking. And I'm like, how can this be? And he says to me, are, are you sitting down? And I was like, I'm on 44th and 8th. There's nowhere to sit. He's like, I, I really think you should find a place to sit. Like, I really think you should sit down. And so I go find a fire hydrant, right? And I'm leaning against the fire hydrant and he pauses and his voice is still shaking. And he says, Zoe's back. What? Yeah. And that's what I said. I was like, what? I couldn't even like process. Talk about brain cloud. Like I couldn't even process what he was saying. He says, our cat Zoe is back. And I just, this is the second time. This is two years later? This was... Three months. Three months. Oh, three months. But okay. it felt like two yeah, years. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. But no, even no, no. like with like, like, it just seems like a cat in Los Angeles disappears for three months, then generally it's not coming back. It's yeah. some kind of miracle when it comes back. And the fact that... She's downtown yeah. one of those crack so, houses and she kicked her... Yeah, cabinet. so like, <laughs> this is the second time I burst, and these are real tears, because yeah. this is like back from the dead kitty castaway. And this is what happened. So Matt will tell you what happened because I was not there. So you were still back in Los Angeles. I was back in LA. Yeah. I got in the call that morning. Dave and I celebrated over the phone about for the job. I had a friend come over and we were going to go out drinking. We were going to go out, go drink and get something to eat for the job. And I said, hold on a sec. Let me just go to the bathroom. And I went over to my bed and I turned to the bathroom and the bathroom door was open and the cat was drinking water out of the toilet from behind. And at first I just thought it was a black cat. That's so much how I was convinced. We that, have an open that, home. Yeah, that a cat wouldn't come back yeah like a window was open the window to the yard is open and right. cat can jump in and <laughs> we have an open home it sounds like it means something yeah. else we have an open home it's very loose <laughs> we'll, be over, we'll be over shortly <laughs> but um and so i'm looking at this cat from behind and i can't it's impossible for me to convince myself or to understand that it is a cat that disappeared and then i finally see that our black cat has a a little white tip 
on her tail and I'm like holy shit like thin emaciated on the toilet and I, I, I take a picture from behind and in order to convince myself that it is the cat I have to text it to Jenny to say is this our cat is yes. this yeah. confirmation even though it's a cat I've seen a thousand times it, it was she hard was for me to accept totally emaciated back. like down to five pounds like holy crap. It, wherever she was she was clearly like we found out later locked up and uh, drinking paint thinner and, and we don't know if she was locked up but that is the only that's the conclusion that's that disappears for yeah. three years it has or, to have no, access three to months, three, three months with it has to have access to a water source yeah and and it was you know she was apparently drinking something that was harming her yeah. kidneys or it was terrible oh, yeah. so anyway so this happens and i get back on the subway and i go or i think at this point i hail the cab because i was like i ain't going underground again i go back to my dad's house at six in the evening on a saturday and i go straight to bed I just went to bed. I was <laughs> Exhaustion. just done. I was just done. Like I'd asked the universe for help and the universe not only gave us help, the universe gave us our cat back. Yeah. As if to say, sorry, that one was on me. <laughs> and so, um, you know, May 19th, 2010, from that day forth, that marked that there have been many more good times than bad in our lives. And so when I look back in disbelief and gratitude and awe and I think to myself, how did I get here? The answer is I took the subway. <laughs> uh, and I can never take the subway without thinking yeah. when I get out of it that at the other end of the phone there's going to be we've never been able to puzzle how the cat got here no after that yeah. you know it's like yeah. you wish you could it's like those one of those things where you wish you could like Vulcan mind mail you think the there was like a utility shed or something got stuck yeah. in and then somebody opened it after it would have to be something like yeah. that and but if it had been the summer did, the cat would have been dead what did, what did yeah. it, what did it was winter eat, you know and we don't know what, but we do know because now she starts bringing us like little treats with their heads ripped off so we know what she ate <laughs> yeah um so My yeah yeah that was I took our, the subway i took the subway <laughs> things just got better so that moment of being on the cusp and you're gonna go one way and you're gonna end up back in some parents spare bedroom or you're gonna continue the journey that was that moment for us and so thanks cindy shupak well, and i think <laughs> we've all had a little of that almost in our stories in oh, terms yeah. of like uh the sort of shit you can go through and you know it sounds cheesy but keeping faith until you reach higher ground because mm -hmm. uh you know <laughs> these these aren't exactly easy things that all of us are describing the worlds that we're in before and we're all at a place you know knock on wood where we're pretty happy about what's going on yeah. so you know like uh uh, that, that that's that's nice to know that's possible. One of my first thoughts after all that stuff went down was like, I'm just gonna pack up and go back to Michigan. Like it's safe there. It's easy. Yeah. Uh, you mm -hmm. know, I, I thought about it. First, back in the early second. Back in the early days when I was digging money out of the couch to go to McDonald's, like even before I met Dave. Although during the times of those shitty jobs, I used to go out to stores and I would trace the globe, the United States part of the globe from like California to Boston and just think about that constantly. Yeah. Like, should I go back? Yeah. Like, and I think, I think that's a universal thing, you know, at, at trying times yeah. where you, you know, the, 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 the journey back home and it, it says something when you stick, I think. Well, I, you know, I've contemplated it with a new, with a new daughter too, but because I think about my childhood and it was awesome like i i can't you know my parent we were middle class but and my dad worked his ass off but i we had so many things available to us in our little town and it was awesome and we were sheltered and naive but it was such a good child like i, I just have no complaints about my childhood yeah, raising so, an yeah, la kid is a is also a difficult. balancing act yeah. and yeah. that and that's the thing and you know what we can raise her well and it'll be cool but part of me i i, I think about 
how I kind of want a simple life for her. And she's got a, a, a big responsibility because someday Chris Black will pass to yonder shores and she will carry the ring. That's right. She'll carry <laughs> yeah. Chris, she's a smart, Chris Black she's will a go into the West and she will the be the one. Yeah, take the boat. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to, I got plans for her. She's going to be a professional tennis player, maybe a surfer. <laughs> nice. She could get a big uh, uh, a, a tennis, co- tennis racket cookie from uh, Cookies by Design <laughs> when she graduates tennis school. And I'll That's be, right. I'll be a 68 year old man. Congratulations, <laughs> Buffy. We did it! Ten episodes. Thanks to Chris Black, Matt Flanagan, Alex Cook for the amazing opening and closing music. Check out the show notes to learn more about him and the other incredible artists in the show. And just for kicks, this Friday at 7.30 p.m. Pacific, we'll be hosting a live listening party for this episode on Alpha Geek Radio. You can listen along with me and Matt and some of the other storytellers and hang out with us in the Alpha Geek Radio chat room. You can hear what everybody's been up to, ask questions in a live post show. Check out tellitanyway.com for more details. Oh, and if you're listening to this show after Friday, yes, we will put it in the feed along with the whole other podcasts we did with Chris Black during this podcast. That guy has some stories, people. Thanks for listening and talk to you next week.